that kind of takes us into this whole idea of truth. And so we're going to revisit kind of something that I've drawn out before, but truth really matters and so does relevance. And that's the name of the message this morning. And the, the description I've given to it, and I'm sure I've done it before, is the, the volcano hole on a miniature golf course. You know what I'm talking about? It's about this high, and the hole's right in the middle, and it's just a volcano. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. That's the hardest hole at the miniature golf place. Like, it's not the dragon with the mouth that opens and closes, and if you get it in at just the right time, you, like, win a free round. It's the volcano one. This is the hardest hole. You, like, go 12 times, and you can never get it in the middle. And if you hit it down the middle, it usually, like, just goes over because you hit it too hard. So what happens is, is you kind of go off one side or the other, um, but rarely can hit the middle. And what I think that represents to me is there's two kinds of things here that are important. There's truth and there's relevance. And I think when we pursue this thing called church and faith, that as we go down this road, we usually bend either towards truth or towards relevance and go to the extreme on, on one of the others. Okay? Um, that's usually what happens. Now, is that... Let me just talk about why these are both important first. Relevance. Why is relevance important? Okay? <laughs> this thing is just reeks to high heaven. <laughs> Sleep deprived, jacked on coffee and... And now this, I wouldn't, um, I would fail a sobriety test, okay? Uh, if you turn in your Bible to first, uh, Second Corinthians, or First Corinthians actually, chapter 6, 9, chapter 9, starting in verse 19. First Corinthians Got a couple different verses in my head. 1 Corinthians 9.19. Here's what Paul says. Okay, and I think it's going to just show us that relevance is an important thing, okay? Paul says this in verse 19. Though I, am a, uh, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So I really care about people. Okay, and the whole idea of relevance is this. People matter to God, and so people should matter to us. Okay? And Paul says this, uh, I want to win as many as possible. People matter to me. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. And to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those who are not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So Paul is basically saying this. I talk to a whole lot of different people. And they're all kind of coming from a different angle. He talks a lot about, you know, the Jews kind of, like, this is their big thing in those days. And the Greeks, like, this was their big thing in those days. I mean, everyone starts from a different starting point. And Paul's saying, I'm not going to stand in the middle and expect them to speak my language. I'm going to become like them and speak their language. 
Okay? If you want something to follow you, if you want to hitch up to something and have it come with you, you got to back the truck all the way up to the trailer, hitch that thing up, and then drive away. I think if you drive close, like three inches away, and say, hey, that's pretty close, and then drive off, the trailer's not going to go with you. Does that make sense? And Paul's saying, hey, it's a big deal because that trailer matters. Those people matter. I want them to come with me. I want to win them. So I'm going to become all things to all men. I'm going to be relevant and speak their language. I'm going to, I'm going to know what makes them tick. I'm going to know how to talk to them. I'm going to know what their lingo is. And I'm going to be relevant that way because people matter to God. And that's kind of where Paul comes in. Jesus, I think the same way, if you look at the crowds that he went to, it was amazing just how down to earth he was. The Bible itself, the New Testament, was written in Koine Greek. Okay, that doesn't sound like much of a big deal. There's classical Greek and Koine Greek. Koine Greek was the language of the day. So if God was going to write a New Testament today, it would have like little text message symbols in it, right? Grammatically incorrect, confusing, whatever, but everyone would understand what he's saying. It wouldn't be the big words where nobody gets gets what God's trying to say to him. It would be specifically to you because the message is important. And if the message is important, then it should be clear. Not clear to the speaker, but clear to the listener or the hearer. Relevance is important. Truth. Now, truth is important too, okay? Because um, I saw some doctors on Halloween, you know, dressed up in the doctor's outfit. And I kind of was chuckling because I was thinking through these things. And I was like, man, there's a reason when you go into the doctor's office, they've got like 50 framed certificates, you know, because it matters. Like, I don't want someone just coming in with a lab coat on and a stethoscope and uh, that you can get at a Halloween store and saying, hey, I'm relevant to you because I look like a doctor. It's like, no, um, there's got to be something behind that. It's got to matter. I remember watching a documentary on this movie by Gavin Menzies. It was like a... 14-something or other, the year that China discovered America. You know, and frankly, I don't care whether China discovered it, Columbus discovered it. Um, I think the Indians were here first. Um, but the funny thing about this documentary was that they went and basically did an expose on the book and the concepts in it. And they went over to China and had all these Chinese scholars and archaeologists basically give what's called an under, undercutting argument to the story. There's a rebuttal, and a rebuttal is like pushback. You know, you give an argument, and you kind of push back against that argument, and it's like tit for tat, okay? An undercutter wipes out the whole ground that you stand on. And these kind of Chinese scholars, the crazy thing was, they were like, you know, there was no possibility because the boats at this time and this evidence and whatever. And so then they, they sat down with Gavin Menzies, the guy that wrote this, and like, you know, showed the video of what these guys were saying and said, well, what do you say to that? And the guy was just dumbfounded. He'd written this whole book, like put his whole reputation on it. And like, he just had no answer for this. And I thought, you know, I saw the book the other day in the, in the bookstore. It still sells really well because it looks really cool. And he just came out with a sequel, like, you know, 1440 something, the, the year Chinese sailors got to Italy and started the Renaissance, you know. Um, so I got to look for another documentary now. Uh, but it's like, I was looking at the book and I'm like, it's packaged so well. It looks so good, but it just doesn't seem like it adds up. I don't think it's true. And, and truth matters. You know, Paul says, you know, if it's not true that Jesus rose from the dead, 
then we're idiots. Like this, this Christian thing isn't a good self-help mechanism because it asks you to die to yourself. When you're trying to help yourself, like taking a lethal injection isn't exactly like part of the program. If you're here just to make your life better or to pad your life, Christianity is a really bad bargain. But if it's true, if it's true, then there's nowhere else that you would want to be or should be. And Paul says it matters. Truth matters. And so we've got to be over here as well. People matter to God, so it should matter to us. Truth matters to God, so it should matter to us as well. Now, I've heard a lot of people say before that the Bible is relevant. We don't need to try to be relevant. That sounds very spiritual. The Bible is relevant enough. We don't need to try to be relevant. Ecclesiastes says this. Do not be over-righteous. Neither be overwise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be overwicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Listen to this. It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. The man who fears God, the woman who fears God, will avoid all extremes. And I think there's an extreme here that says... Truth is truth is truth. We don't have to do anything to it to make it relevant. It's God's truth. It's relevant enough. And to that I'd say, in the New Testament, it talks a lot about milk. That sometimes people new to the faith need milk because they're immature. And later on, they they don't need milk. They need something more. So it says, hey, how we apply Scripture or how we communicate Scripture is really important because there's different people at different maturity levels. It also says, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide it, which means there's a way in which we can wrongly divide it. And just because Scripture is truth doesn't mean we always handle it correctly or communicate it correctly. It says also to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. Truth is important. But do it in love. And I think the people that are like, truth is truth and the Bible is Bible and we don't need to be relevant, don't get the whole people matter to God part. They don't get the love part. I was talking to a, an elder at a different church this week. And the church is imploding. Um, the the pastor is being run out of town there's a group that sent out, uh, got a signed petition against the pastor and went to the denomination without even talking to the elders and wants the denomination to take over the church. And then there's another group that sent out an anonymous letter to the whole church saying, hey, in case you don't know, there's a group that's going to the denomination trying to do this. And it's just, it's like the craziest thing, right? It's a conservative Baptist church. I mean, they'll run you off. I mean, they'll pull you off the stage and throw you out the door if you got up in that church and spoke anything other than the Bible or truth. Truth is so important to them because they're conservative Baptist, and they'll know it the minute they hear untruth. Yet, they can't live truth. 
And I think sometimes when we get so over on this side, we miss the whole balance thing. The truth isn't just something you know, it's something you live. It's something you live. You know, um, all the Bible is relevant. But I wouldn't go into a hospital room and read Leviticus to somebody. Um, just got reminded of a story, actually, and, and we don't have time for it, but we'll do it anyways. Um, there's this pastor in a church I worked at in California, and he, he wasn't the quickest guy. Um, nice guy, not very quick. And he and uh, this, the senior associate pastor were doing a hospital visit. I think I've told the story before, but it's, it's, I'll, I'll tell it more times. Um, they went to the hospital, and, and uh, the guy that's not too quick was like, what should I read, what should I read? And, and uh, the, the guy he was with said, hey, read Psalm whatever, 90-something. Uh, it's a great Psalm. Well, he heard him wrong or forgot or something like that. So they get next to the hospital. It's kind of a sad story. Funny, sad. Um, so the lady's there, and there's the, like, husband, and, and she's really sick. And the guy starts reading from the Psalm. And the psalm that he like mistakenly started reading from was like, you will die and you'll go down to the dust like a worm and your life is but a vapor and why even bother? And just, you know, it's this just depressing, heavy thing. And he's not really quick. So he just kept thinking it's going to get better. It's going to get better. And he just kept reading and then starting to put in that like great like scripture reading voice, which like, so he's now like in Elizabethan English reading like, you know, and you're going to die and your life is nothing. And Hey, all of Scripture is Scripture, and it's all true. But it's not all relevant at all times. We get in the middle, and we take what we know of God, and we take what we know of Scripture, and as we love people, there's an intentionality in how we communicate, how we connect with them. I wouldn't go uh, into a gym where a personal trainer... I, mean, I haven't been in a gym in like, how old is my oldest daughter? Um, seven, almost seven, seven years. And I mean, I would break if I went in a gym right now. And if I went in and there was some personal trainer there that was like, hey, let's put you on the squat rack and like, let's load up 500 pounds, you know, because it's all good in here. It's a gym. It's all good. It's all true. It's all going to make you better. Let's load up 500 pounds. I mean, scripture is all true. <laughs> But there's times for milk and there's times for, for one type of communication from God to a person versus another. It matters. That, that church that I was talking to the elder of, the one that's imploding, I told him, I said, hey, here's my analogy for your church. I said, that, I really think this is how it's going to be and it, and it grieves me. But you guys are like a, crack, like a crack house, like a meth house. And once it gets like found out, you know, they got to put the tape over your door for like, I don't know, six, seven years. I don't know, maybe it's three. Sounds better. Six, seven years or something like that because of the chemicals. You know what I mean? Like poisons your house until the half-life of the chemicals like expires. And that thing is just uninhabitable because of the poison that's in it. And I said, what's happening to your church right now, all these factions and what's going on, it is going to poison that well, and it's going to be like a, a meth house. He's just not going to recover from it. Yet these people know truth. You just can't just have truth. There's something really fascinating. I'm a church planter. I've talked to a lot of church planters. And a lot of them will say that to me. I don't have to be relevant. Our church doesn't have to be 
relevant. The Bible is relevant, period. And it's this, this very strong kind of prideful statement. And, and I usually don't go into it because there's no point kind of in arguing it. Um, but I know something about that church plant when a, a church planter says that to me. I know that it's either going to die or it's going to be a hornet's nest. Because if you can't start a community, I mean, just think of starting a family if you don't really get the idea that people matter to God. I mean, what kind of, of, of community and relationship are you going to be able to build when you don't really understand that people matter and that they're unique and that you have to lead them tenderly, that you have to speak to them in a language they can understand? So there's got to be a balance between the two. I, I'm going to do something I've never done, but uh, I need four volunteers. I'm, I'm not a big fan of drama, um, so I don't usually do this, but yeah, I need four volunteers. Come on. All right, we got one, two, three, four. Got it. Okay. You guys just come and stand up here. I'm going to try and get at this just a little bit more because if you don't understand this, I don't think you'll ever understand Antioch and why we do what we do. Okay, so this is huge. So um, you look really menacing. Um, so stand right there and just kind of like make a fist. Okay? And uh, why don't you just kind of sit right here on your bottom and like hold your knees and just look really sad. Okay? Um, and then you just face the other way and act like you're minding your own business. And then you're helping him. I don't know what that posture is. Yeah. Okay. I think... All people can be categorized in one of these four expressions. This is the person that is using power, influence, or emotional strength, or whatever, to oppress other people. At the expense of other people, this person's life is, is what it is. This person's, just, this person's just minding his own business, and that's probably, what, 50% or more? Just minding his own business, doing his thing, taking care of himself, uh, his and his own. This person is, is the downtrodden. And that can happen two ways. It's either by being oppressed by people or systems or governments or structures that way. Or just plain life, orphan, widow, um, the poor, the alien. Okay, But it's just in a, in a helpless position. This is the person that sees that and is responding. Okay. Now the interesting thing is that there are Christians and non-Christians in every single one of these categories. Okay, it's not like, here's the non-Christian, here's, you know. There are Christians and non-Christians in every single one of these categories. Now, Jesus goes up to these guys, and he gets downright angry with them because of their attitude towards people. There is no love. Now, here's the interesting thing. The woman caught in adultery, she gets brought before Jesus and thrown down by the religious leaders who wanted to kill her. Wanted to kill her. So here's the woman brought by the religious, sorry, brought by the religious leaders who want to kill her. Now here's the fascinating thing. Get this, okay? They quote scripture to Jesus. They have truth. They say to Jesus, it says in the law that anyone caught in adultery is to be stoned. They quote scripture to Jesus, and Jesus rebukes them. 
Interesting. There's another story where the person, uh, the, good, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this guy gets beat half to death and left on the road, the mountain windy road kind of a thing, going down to Jericho, and he's left there. Now, the Levite and the priest walk by and hurry by. Now, Jesus specifically picks the priest and the Levite. The two people that have to work in God's house, in God's arena, that's their job, that's their task, that's what they do, okay? And as part of that, they have to be pure. They're not supposed to touch blood. They're not supposed to touch sick things. They're supposed to remain pure so that they can serve God. And the the fascinating thing is, what you kind of get out of the story is that these guys are walking by. What are they doing in their heads while they're walking by? They're reciting Bible verses. You know what? I really can't touch that person. I wouldn't be able to serve God when I got to where I'm going. I can't really do that. That's not my station in life. I'm supposed to remain pure. The woman caught in adultery, the religious people are quoting Scripture. I think in the Good Samaritan passage, the the Levite and the priest walk by reciting scripture, and here's the Samaritan who doesn't have truth, who helps the man. And Jesus says to them, who do you think really loved his neighbor? And they say, the one that helped him. And he says, go and be like that one. Whoa. But that's the one that doesn't have truth. It's really interesting here because Paul says the same thing in Romans. He says, you know what's really interesting, people? He's writing. He says, the, the Jews, um, the bad Jews, there's good and Jews and bad Jews, whatever, but the, the, the ones that had the law and didn't live it out. I mean, that's a crazy thing. They knew that they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And he says, and here's a fascinating thing. You've got Gentiles who don't know anything about the law, yet they're living it out just in, in that kind of a sense. And he says, man, that's a pretty remarkable thing and commendable thing. Those that don't have the truth that are actually yet living it out. What's the bottom line to this? The truth, if you don't live it out, is utterly worthless. It's not to know truth, it's to live truth. And so we've got Christians and non-Christians in every category. And I think sometimes in Bend, Oregon, we're going to get to this later, we kind of get busy and we, we go to church and we know truth, and we, we're kind of good, so we can feel in some sense like, I'm not the one oppressing people. I'm not doing anything wrong. Yet, part of the truth that we know is that we're supposed to be this guy over here that actually is taking care of people because people matter to God. And if we don't get that, and we don't live out truth, then in some sense, we're false, and we become hypocritical, and we slowly calcify that way, and we become old wineskins, and we think we're something that we're not. And that's why Jesus came and mostly talked with these two people. Because they, they were willing to hear what he had to say, and they understood the heart of what he was trying to communicate. Thanks, guys. So how does this, uh, how does this work out then, okay? So the, the, the shot down the middle, okay, there's a picture of this, and it's called Jesus. 
and it's the incarnation. And the incarnation is what? It's like a fancy word for saying that, that Jesus is with God, and then he takes on flesh, incarnation, human form. He becomes a person. So, so here's a relevant thing. God is taking his message and wrapping it up in a person that we can touch and that we can uh, interact with. C.S. Lewis has a great analogy. He says, in his, in his autobiography, he says, what helped me become a Christian was this. I always thought, how in the world can we know a God that's so radically different than us? And his analogy was this. How can Hamlet know Shakespeare? And so he kind of used that analogy and says, I just, you know, I'm agnostic. I can't go anywhere with this. How can Hamlet know Shakespeare? And his autobiography continues on. He says, you know what? I came to realize there's a way for Hamlet to know Shakespeare. And that's if Shakespeare writes a character into the play called Shakespeare. That's the representation of Shakespeare. So that Hamlet and Shakespeare can now interact and And Shakespeare is interacting with the expression of, the values of, the heart of, the person of the author, the creator. And the incarnation is a fancy way of saying God wrote himself into the story. Because that's relevant and so he could communicate directly with people in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus even said that. Hey, I've only said and done what the Father has given me to say and do. Incredibly relevant. He also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what he does is he wraps these two things up together and he is truth and he expresses truth and he lives truth. It's the incarnation. It's the incarnation. And so what we're trying to do is say, doesn't that seem logical, by the way? I mean, doesn't that just be like, man, man, Jesus is pretty smart, right? Well, why don't we do that? And the reason we don't do that is because of this. The conservatives... Ended up on this side, and the liberals ended up on this side, and they fought each other for the last hundred years. Now, what happens when you fight? When you fight, you go to opposite extremes. In the middle of a boxing match, when the, the bell rings, okay, they, they go take a stool in opposite corners. And I'm still waiting for the day that in a boxing match, the bell rings and they just plop down two stools in the middle of the ring and they kind of sit back to back and share a water bottle. I mean, it just, it just doesn't happen. And so what happens is for the last hundred years, when you come into this church environment, you have to choose up sides and then you fight. And so it's like, hey, we're choosing up the truth side and that's a good side. Well, yeah. Um, hey, we're choosing up the people side, but truth doesn't matter. We're just going to make it up as we go along. And you know what? Why go to church and why give your life to Christianity if, if it's just opinions? I mean, turn on, turn on Oprah, okay? I mean, there's got to be some truth underneath this relevance. I mean, they go together. And so we've kind of erred because we feel like we have to choose up sides. And what we're trying to do with this church is say, no, I don't want to be a part of a team I want to follow Christ. I want to follow Christ. I want, I, want to, I want to feel at the end of the day that even though I'm doing it wrong, I, I can be humble enough to say that I know who my leader is and I, and I know who's setting the pace and I know who showed me the way and that's where I'm going and, and that's where we, the body of Christ, are the incarnation now. Jesus left and he you know, left and went there, but he left behind his body. 
He says that the church, all of us together, make up his body. We are the representation on earth of what God is trying to say to people. Because people matter to God. And what he says is true, because truth matters to God. And so we're trying to follow Jesus. So now here's the interesting switch. So here's the bad news. Justin said something this week. By the way, if if you never hang out with Justin during the middle of the week, you need to. (laughs) Because he's hilarious. Um, And he hides that on Sundays. But... um, so I'm with Justin, and Justin says this. He, he's talking about giving bad news to someone. He's like, oh, yeah, bad news. You kiss him, slap him, kiss him again, you know. That's how you give bad news to people. And, um, and I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm, I don't know that I'm, I'm going to kiss anyone. Um, but here's, here's the main point. Um, John 3.16 says this. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That if they believe in him, they might be saved and have eternal life. God loves the world, so he sends Jesus. Jesus in John 20 says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Okay? So we can shorten this equation. I was an engineering student, and it was always about whittling the equation down, you know, with the equal signs and stuff. So we can now shorten this thing down and basically say this. For God so loves the world that he's sending you. God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. Jesus says, as the Father is sending me, so I send you. For God so loves the world that he's sending you. If you're in Christ, if you're on God's team, if you want to follow him, you're being sent. The the root word of missionary, it's a Latin root, literally means to send or sent. Missionary is someone who's sent. So this is the bad news part. Um, you're a missionary. And, and it's bad news because I know that gives us the creeps. You know, oh man, missionaries, they're the ones that knock on doors. They dress funny. They don't know any fashion. Um, they, they have to go over to some weird country. Uh, missionary is a negative word for me. It's a, it's a heebie-jeebie word, whatever. This is the bad news. I don't care. You're a missionary. People matter to God and you have truth. What are you going to do with that truth? Are you going to just know it? Or are you going to live it? Are you going to take God's value for people and the truth that you have and wrap it up and live it out and be an incarnation in this world? Or are you just going to hang on to it and do what this guy did and just go about your business? Salad bar Christianity. You know what? I'll take a heaping of, um, of this and, oh, let me add a little Christianity to that and, you know, soccer for the kids over here and um, a little bit of this TV show here. I like it. And let me add this to my life. And, and we just add a bunch of different separate things and Christianity is one of them. Or do we really understand that it completely turns us upside down and Christianity becomes the filter and the paradigm through which everything else is viewed? You're going to go to your kid's soccer game? Guess what? There's someone there that's hurting. If you'll open your eyes, there's someone there that is just dying for someone to reach into their darkness and help them out. And TV show? Great. I don't care. I'm becoming a TV junkie, so I don't preach against it anymore. But invite somebody over. Just, just call somebody up. Come over and watch TV with me. 
Share your house. Someone knocks on your door late at night, you're like, ah, got to put the kids to bed. Why are they here? I've never been like that, you know, but, but um, just get excited about them being there. Spend hours at, at work. I mean, work is where you spend the majority of your life. What could God do through you in that environment? I mean, just think of it. You're a missionary. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians. It's on the screen too, but listen to this. If you don't believe me. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed us this, committed to us this message of reconciliation. Listen to this now. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. I don't care how creepy that sounds. But people matter to God, so they should matter to us. And God has an opinion about how you spend your time. He does. He has an opinion about the decisions you make. And he knows the people in your life that if you just reach them and be a light to them, that it would just be unbelievable what could happen. And it would fill you with so much joy that you would actually have to stop spending money on stupid stuff to make yourself feel good. Okay, when we started the church, we had like 30 people before we launched. And, and we gave out all these mag lights to people back when we could afford it. Like, because there's only 30 people. They were the smaller ones too, like keychain ones. I got mine out last night, still have it. And it was like corroded on the inside. I couldn't get the battery out. Um, but you see these batteries? If I turn it around and make it about me, um, there's nothing that's going to happen with this. It's worthless. And I'm not living out truth. If I turn it right way, focusing outward, um, all of a sudden, it's amazing what can happen. You know, it's a good thing we don't have to, like, screw the batteries in in our life. Look at this. I can't even put a mag light together. All right. Well, hey, it turn. Oh, it still turns on. There you go. Okay. I mean, it's, there's something to that. There's something hard to that. It's hard to be called to something that's difficult. It's hard to be called to something that isn't always fun. It's hard to be called to something that might not be cool or popular, and you have to stop being fashionable, wear like ugly clothes, be a missionary. There's something hard to it. But if truth matters, then we just um, hitch up and we begin walking down that road and figure it out as we go. Here's the question. Do you want people to know God more than you want to be comfortable? Do you want people to know God more than you want for yourself to be comfortable? Um, I cried yesterday. It's okay, because I was watching Forrest Gump. Um, and, you know, lack of sleep and all the other stuff. But I cried, and it was amazing. 
watching Forrest Gump. Um, but there's this one part where Jenny, it's the old Jenny and the old Forrest, you know, they're older now. And they're walking in, in like Alabama and stuff like that. And Forrest is talking to Jenny. And they come up on Jenny's old house. It's like dilapidated kind of shack. And that's where she used to be abused as a kid. And she just sees it. She stops listening to Forrest. She runs towards the house, stops halfway there, throws her shoes at the house, bends down, starts picking up rocks, throws about five or six rocks at the house, breaks a window, and then just falls into a hump, like, you know, just a pile, just sobbing and crying. And, and the narrator, kind of Forrest, says this. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. The narrator, Forrest, says, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. Um, life is messy and it's difficult and pain is real and sleepless nights are not fun and loss hurts. Um, and sometimes there aren't enough rocks. I don't think there ever are enough rocks. What we need is to know that God loves us and for him to come into the middle of that we need truth, we need Christ, we need the hug. We need it to not be just a little church song, Jesus loves me. And we have been given this ministry to reconcile the world to God. This world that doesn't have enough rocks to fix their problems or to throw at their problems. And we get to be the body of Christ, the incarnation. And so when people come to your living room or you have to stay up long hours or when you meet the single mom or if someone is as far from you and as unlikely for you to be friends with as possible, yet they come into your life, you're supposed to love those people. We're supposed to live truth. We're supposed to be missionaries. Can you imagine what would be possible if everyone in this church went into this town, into Sisters, into Sun River, into Lapine, into Prineville, into Redmond, and lived as intentionally as a missionary would, someone in China or Africa or South America, lived as intentionally as that. It's a, a vision that God has for the church. He said that it's supposed to be like a city on a hill, like a light that you can't miss, something attractive and magnetic. Um, I'm idealistic enough to believe that that, that can happen. I want to be a part of a community where we all get to encourage each other and spur each other on to be like that. To wrap up people in love with truth and meaning and live like Jesus and follow our Lord and Savior. I want to just ask you as we close here to maybe fast and pray this week. Fasting's real simple. I'll put it in a nutshell for you. Pick a meal and just don't eat. Okay? But maybe this week, just fast and pray and think through this whole idea of how would it look if I really lived like a missionary? God, what would you have me do? Who would you have me go to? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we commit ourselves to you. Use us to reach the people that you care about. People matter to you, Father. I just pray that you'd help them matter to us. Christ's name, amen.